0: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Dear brothers and sisters, this is your brother Omar Salaiman I'm here with uh, my beloved brother, friend, Dr. Muhammad Khalifa who we're blessed to have as a senior fellow at Yaqeen Alhamdulillah, blessed to have you as a brother and a friend and your insight and blessed to co-author uh, last year um, alongside Dr. Uh, Abdi and Dr. Uh, Wright uh, where we talked about ancestral knowledge, rooting, cultural resistance in Islam and what that looks like and subhanAllah, I don't think we anticipated the conversations that would end up happening amongst american muslims about what the role of culture particularly when it when it includes an element of resistance right um you know what how we how we fit that all in while still staying true to our ideals of the quran and the Sunnah is there a contradiction how do we um how do we maintain orthodoxy how do we not fall into some of the traps that people have warned about and, and things of that sort so i think it was it was a great paper Hamza. we had a lot of vibrant discussion in the process of writing that paper and um, and and filtering our own thoughts and I think that's the blessing of having multiple people writing on the same subject. And I and I like the way it came out, alhamdulillah it all. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'd like to start there. Um, your biggest takeaways from this from this idea of ancestral knowledge and benefiting from what's around us and available to us while maintaining the Quran and the sunnah as a filter. So what are your just main takeaways and reflections on that subject?
1: Yeah. Well, one is that <clears throat> American Muslims have also have often, um, because of how Islam came into the community, um, been told, and perhaps some have made assumptions that there's a contradiction between ancestral knowledge, ways of being, ways of approaching and understanding, and Islam. And so, is- Islam <clears throat> has these broad objectives that uh, of the Sharia, um, and then. In many cases, it can affirm like what local people believe, but for us, like when we, um, my parents came through the Nation of Islam and then through what I deemed, and then as we started to learn more about the religion, many of the people who taught that religion could not disentangle themselves from their own ancestral knowledges, right? So they made assumptions about their ancestral knowledges being more Islamic, and others that seemed foreign to theirs being um, not as Islamic. So, so they, if you don't mind me just yeah. saying on that point, so the the, the um,
0: you know what's what's being put out there the idea is not that this ancestral knowledge is superior to others ancestral knowledge it's right. that everyone you know consciously or subconsciously operates with with a whole bundle of ideas and things and That's it's right. important not to impose one over the other in that sense and always have sort of the quran and the sunnah yep. setting the stage the
1: broad stage and then making sure that we operate within that is that 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 would be that would be precise and and as well we have to uninvisibilize because so, so the fact that some ancestral knowledge has been prioritized over other types of ancestral knowledge is, has become an invisibilized process right so mm-hmm. it's not so if you go to just a typical measure we're here in minnesota you would go to most mosques here and say okay talk about ancestral knowledges or epistemologies that belong uh, more squarely you know within one cultural uh, background they couldn't separate out how theirs and because maybe they have positional power in a mosque or organization how theirs has been sort of privileged above others and how others have been suppressed they couldn't they couldn't trace that out for you Mm. so it does require some i mean even though we wrote this piece i see it as an introductory piece right absolutely the actions that should follow would should require leaders across the states really and everywhere to say okay are we being because we can't come on the scene and accuse white folks of doing this with white privilege and then step into a Muslim center, we're doing the exact same thing from our own um, uh, sort of like, um, in our own organizations. And then we step out with the Black Lives Matter shirts on and stuff like that, right? So we have to be consistent in how we call out privilege and how we try to lift up the voices that have been more sidelined. So when
0: people hear that, a lot of times I think that sometimes it's really just comfort. Um, Some people just feel more comfortable, you know, if we, we now have the privilege, and the, there's another type of privilege, which is the economic privilege, that a lot of people can settle and build a suburban masjid, and, right. uh, a bunch of families can build a neighborhood around that masjid, and okay. it can be, you know, uh, everyone from not just this country or this this broader background, like it's not just Indo-Pak, it's it's specifically Hyderabadi, it's not just Arabic, <laughs> it's, it's uh, specifically a Syrian masjid, you know, and, and I think a lot of people do it from a sense of comfort. And isn't that kind of the history of religion in America, too? Right. Like Absolutely. Uh, when I was in New Orleans um, next door, we had a Chinese Presbyterian church and people were just like, what is what's happening in New- why in New Orleans is the Chinese Presbyterian? it's just so is that is that really a problem? I'm, and I'm asking not mm-hmm. I mean, I'm asking so we can flush that idea out. A lot of people would say, what's the issue? You know, we'll, we'll be good with the inner city masjid. We will you know, we'll, we'll try to be respectful. We'll try to, you know, show up at other masjid fundraisers. But is it is it OK that everyone kind of just goes and does their own thing?
1: It is, as long as it's not an invisible process and an assumption that one is more Islamic than another. I think it's perfectly fine for people to uh, develop spaces. But the problem is, is that when it's a shared space and when folks don't have, have other options of other places to worship or other organizations to go and hear like lectures, and then it's invisibilized that this, is, I, I don't have a problem with any epistemological sort of makeup. I don't have a problem with any type of cultural background. The problem I have is that when you invisibilize some as having priorities, and then you make claims about Islam or about Islamic space that it should look more one way or another. That's the problem. I
0: think. So, so if I'm understanding correctly, someone moves into a city and says, I've got three messages to choose from. None of them really speak to my cultural makeup, especially if I'm a convert, you know. Um, White convert, black convert, Latino convert, which mm-hmm. is, mashallah, we have a growing a lot. Yeah. Um, Hispanic population. And so if I understand what you're saying, even those spaces where people naturally kind of form around, um, you know, things that offer comfort or especially with immigrant populations, things that remind them of back home, right, and things of that yeah. sort, that there has to be a, a, a great attempt to not make other people feel less Muslim because they're less of that particular nationality when they walk into that measure, less of that cultural background. I mean, I also would push back and say, um, not not with you, but but the idea, um, I don't think it's healthy for the long-term vision of Islam in America yeah. that we follow that trajectory. Of, you know, when they say Sunday yeah. is the most segregated day in America, that's right. I don't think we should aspire to that. And I that's think right. that spaces where people are sort of forced to have multiple cultures in a Masjid, yeah, it gets more tense. People have to argue a little bit more because this person comes from this country, that country. But... I think what eventually is produced out of that masjid is going to be richer. Uh It's going to be better for the community. And I think that is some of our history, is that when people Uh came into contact with each other's shared spaces, though it's not pleasant sometimes Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's less comfortable, you know, we're human beings. If we're not going to fight about or or have our arguments Mm -hmm. about culture, we're going to find other things. There's ego, right? So people from the same country, same city, will split off and make another masjid, right? right. Or make another institution.
1: so. So that, too, is a part of the American story, though, which is you have... Um, um, Western-leaning, white-privileged-leaning narrative spaces, and black folks show up and say, okay, hold on a second, we need a Black History Month, or we need a Black Student Union, or Muslims have showed up and said the same thing. I don't think it's any problem with the pushback. I was only speaking about that when you enter into a space to invisibilize one cultural background as the norm, as the Islamic norm, that's the problem. I agree with you, though, that... uh, if people are being marginalizing, that's un-Islamic. That's right. that. That is. If people are not recognizing the human, but I think that we would agree also that when an immigrant comes, many of them, not not voluntary immigrants, have come. That they also need to be humanized. And they, my, my, I don't have any problem whatsoever with you saying, look, this is for older, dacy individuals in our mosque. This is our night. This is, but when you put the khatib, or when you put the activities, or when you put the causes for concern that you hear in the announcements, and they all resemble one cultural experience, that's when I think it becomes more problematic. Okay.
0: So on that note, I mean, you know, so there's the philosophical, then it gets to like, the very practical, right? right? And, like, right. our lived experience as Muslims living together. Um, I think the debate over how can Islam be a universal religion, but then <clears throat> is there room for particularism? Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and especially when you talk about the indigenous, and especially when you talk about the historical African-American experience. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I, I think that debate especially played out in the community of Imam Warithi, Muhammad Rahimullah, Ta'ala, with the Bilalian yes. um, movement. And, you know, what, what that meant, what were the implications of that. Now, going forward, as I think right now you've got a class division, right, that's happening <laughs> as, you're, as you're seeing the landscape of Muslims in a lot of places in America. So Dallas, where, where I live in Dallas, Dallas has the worst racialized poverty in America. Uh-huh. It's, it's a horrible situation of apartheid. and Dallas, people don't mix. Now, so someone might tell you Dallas is wonderful. They mean they're Dallas. Uh-huh. They're not talking about South Dallas. Right. And they're not talking about any of the institutions in South Dallas or the realities of South Dallas. They're talking about their suburb, right. which is broadly associated with Dallas. But that's what they mean when they say Dallas yeah. is wonderful. And Dallas is not wonderful. I mean, South Dallas is a horrible situation. We've got the worst child, homelessness in the country. One out of every three children in Dallas lives under the poverty line. Three, One out of three children. The school-to-prison pipeline, horrible. All, all The cycle of violence, it's vicious, right? But when I say Dallas is wonderful, I'm like Valley Ranch is wonderful. You know, you can come to our in Valley Ranch, and we have a welcoming community that we pride ourselves on. We try to welcome everyone. Converts, people that are from, from different backgrounds, people that are from different backgrounds, Immigrant backgrounds, people that are from different convert backgrounds, yeah. men, women, people with special needs. We try to make that sort of our 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 yeah. uh, calling as a masjid to be that masjid that, that welcomes people. But um, how do we? I mean, just the wealth gap is getting worse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and you know, so these masjids are going to reflect that reality. Islamic institutions are going to reflect that reality. Political priorities and it's, it's, I think it's going to become, and I might be wrong, you tell me, it's going to become less about race, more about class. If I belong to a class, a higher income class, where the goal is essentially to be inducted into a power structure, which in America is dominantly white, right, and uh-huh. to aspire towards that, and so my political priorities are very different than as a community, whereas other people have a very different political priority. And I, th- I think, allah Adam. I mean, it seems like, obviously, you know, race will always play into it, culture will always play into it, but, but how do you see it as a, as a scholar, well, the, the, the income part yeah. of this, the,
1: the, the class part of this, that gap? So, so um, I, 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 I interpret even the question differently because <laughs> oftentimes, like, what I work with a lot of superintendents in the work I do, a lot of principals, a lot of school leaders, um, government officials, ministers of education, and stuff like that. And one very palpable idea here uh, in, in the United States is that, and, and it's, the reason I interpret the question is because it's often a way that white people push back against talking about race and engaging race. As you will say, it's not racist class, right? And data, and I know you weren't doing that, right? but I'm, I, I know for sure you weren't doing that because I've heard you talk, and I know that you know that the, uh, the issues of race are very real. Here's the thing, though. Well, when it's you, racialized poverty, so race it, and class, race and inherently class right. are inherently intertwined. They're always, yeah. You know. Absolutely. But when you go to, for example, uh, who scores worse, who's kicked out of school, who's removed to school, who's more likely to enter the the school to prison pipeline, and you control for race, I'm sorry, and you control for class, it's still very racialized. So let's go to higher income families and just look across the board at black, Latino, white. You find almost the same gaps, even when you do have higher class. Going on to the lower class. So for example, here in Minneapolis, when it comes to learning data, lower class, lower SES, I shouldn't say lower class, I should say lower socioeconomic status, white students outperform wealthy black students. Okay, Um, When you look at, for example, uh, education level, um, uh, in, in recent data, like for example, an African American male with a college degree and no prison background has less opportunity and income, this is census data, like national data, oh. than a white male who has a criminal background in no degree, right? right. And so you, you find all of these indicants that racial nah, race will, and, and not only that, if you read some of the historical scholars like Ami and not and others, they make it very clear that what uh, Western um, histories of colonization reveal um, is that the ways that Racial hierarchies were initiated in this country, were then extended, right, to people who are uh, from different religious groups, people from different language groups, people from different socioeconomic economic statuses. But if you re- read some of the early uh, historical writers of the Spanish American Empire, early Victorian America, they would argue that the initial hierarchies and discourses that set those hierarch- hierarchies into motion were race based. Lastly. Mm. Every single indicator you come to, dropout, homicide, arrest,
0: police murder. Blah, blah. Discipline, even within school, detention Discipline. rates, suspensions, and just, it's all yeah. disproportionate. It's, it's all racially it's disproportionate. Racially, right. So, so what does this mean for, and, and I think this is the specific of the yeah, is yeah, yeah, what does this yeah. mean for masjid Islamic institutions going forward <laughs> where people are, you know, trying to figure it all out. Like you walk yeah. into a masjid now and, you know, yeah. You get a feel for yeah. the subhanAllah, there's something that's indicating something like you, you get a feel a masjid has a feel it's like it, once you walk into a masjid yes, of course it immediately gives you a feel it gives you a sense of we call
1: a school climate in there you go right?
0: so what's the, the masjid climate now a lot of so, so there are people that are well intentioned there are people that want to say okay absolutely. we recognize that um, that that things have have been wrong. They've been done wrong. We recognize that our masjid, bring it down to like a very practical level, our masjid has not been has not been helpful. Right. Um, we need to educate ourselves more on race relations in the community. Mm-hmm. I tell people mm-hmm. the story of police brutality all the time that in my masjid in, in New Orleans, um, you know New Orleans, of course pre-Katrina New Orleans, yeah, where yeah. I'm, I'm from New Orleans, yeah. pre-Katrina New Orleans is very different from post-Katrina New Orleans. Oh. The, the race dynamics entirely changed, class dynamics right you know the the 7th ward ninth ward all of them got turned into um, you know high end real estate which which drastically changed the demographics of new orleans but yeah. in my masjid funny enough um, there was an incident of police brutality and, and, and i've talked about mm. this subhanallah and i don't want to go into the details it's it's very it's a very difficult subject to talk mm-hmm. about honestly but there was a sister who was african american mm-hmm. Dr. Dr. Jamila Arshad, Alayramha, married to a Pakistan uh, doctor, Dr. Kaleem Arshad, uh-huh. and um, she was murdered by the police on her way home. She was trying to help a kid that got hit on, by a car. He was riding his bike, got hit by a car, and she stopped to help the kid. And they made the assumption that she wasn't a doctor. They didn't believe her. She was trying to resuscitate the kid and, you know, threw her into the back of a car. It was a horrible incident. Everyone in my community, subhanAllah. Well, I don't want to say everyone. We still had some people that, Mm -hmm. you know, if only she follows instructions, that garbage, right? But for the most part, everyone in our community, or a lot, the the majority of our community had a completely different understanding of police brutality now. Mm -hmm. It was different to them because it was not personal. Mm -hmm. It was no longer... You know, something happened in the hood, and then, you know, mm-hmm. the imam told us about this and this and that. you like, saying this new understanding came as a result of this as incident. As a result oh, of okay. that incident, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it provoked the conversation, what do we do different? What do we do better, right? Okay, we understand. Basically, you know, and I want you to just think about it. When you have someone who is, who came from overseas, who didn't get the police brutality thing, who kind of bought into the just do your job, respect the law, and everything will go right for you. And now that world has been shattered. What do we do now? right and so a lot of these messages then for for some of these messages, the 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 discussion is well let's start to integrate some of those voices that have been telling us about the reality of america's racist uh uh, you know society for a very long time and what that translates into in terms of policing in terms of criminal justice in terms of schooling in terms of homelessness in terms of all these different things right and for them it's like all right well what do we do now do we um we need to listen more obviously and that's 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 something that that You tell, you know, everyone is, well, it's always good to learn, listen to experiences, learn benefits. But what does this translate into in terms of the structures of the Islamic institutions? Does this mean integrating more voices here? Does this mean um, the more privileged, the the people that will naturally, and and the privilege is going to grow, people that are naturally privileged and have better um, socioeconomic status need to spend more on masjids? Like there was an idea that we were talking Mm -hmm. about where... You know, some of the mes- like, like in our community in in Dallas, like I said, racialized poverty is horrible. Mm-hmm. Where the suburban masjids are going to be expected to spend on the inner city messages mm-hmm. and you know what's that going to look like? Because in Dallas, you got swaths of of poor black and brown folks, and you got mm-hmm. like sort of the the Latinos, and and there's a growing Islam in the in the Latino experience in, in Texas in mm-hmm. particular. Mm-hmm. What does this look like going forward? How do we start to Fix this, mm-hmm. or what? Do you, what do you give people from a practical perspective? It's like yeah. a twenty-minute question. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to a of it. which what part of but, it do uh, you want to yeah, answer? Right. Exactly, exactly.
1: So you know, I, I think uh, practicing Islam uh, in, in this sense, right? So um, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk in uh, this kind of work around allyship, forming allegiances, and, and serving as allies. While that could be useful, I think what's a more pertinent discussion is advocacy. Right? How can Masajid, because, I mean, it's not just that mosques have a credibility issue with non-Muslims. You can go into some Masajid across America, in particular communities, and they look like geriatric centers. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that Masajid and Islamic institutions are lo- losing their re- relevance, even for Muslims in some cases, right? Mm-hmm. People not finding comfort going there. I was raised, I was born Muslim, I was raised Muslim, and I go into some messages and I don't feel the, the embrace and the cultural, um, and not even cultural, just, like, kindness, man. I mean, right. you know, like, like, am I welcomed here or not? Um, and that—that that is, I think, uh, that comes across in several ways. First of all, just the interaction, the personal interaction, how one is treated. What are the topics of the khutbah? Do I see myself in in the mm. curriculum of the there you go. Okay. What are the issues that are talked about in the, those announcements? Mm. Like, what issues are you taking up? Mm-hmm. I didn't See many Muslims out there for Fernando Castillo when he got he got killed less than a mile from here, and there are I think three or four masajit in this area. There were a couple of Muslims around, but the I didn't see any mosques taking that up, right? Mm. And so how are you? So so it's a question of uh, relevance. So for example, Muslims with this Muslim band, okay, jump up and they want the Latinos, blacks, and all of these communities to come and jump on board and support them with that. Are you there? Not you, because I've seen you. But are the, is the community there when this border wall hops up? Is the community there when this police violence hops up? Is the community there? What's the community stance on affirmative action? What's the community stance on black underemployment and a booming economy? Right. And so I haven't seen any of the message to take these issues up. So the com- the, the, masjid, the the
0: institutional agendas need to reflect. Oh. Absolutely. That's that's I think and I think that's lost on a lot of people. Oh yes. That's absolutely. really lost on like they don't you know, it's like, okay, uh we need yeah. to we'll send some people to the protest. It's,
1: it's, it's, I, don't care. I don't care if you come and exoticize my voice in the mosque. You put a table up, you put me, you put one brother who came out of the nation, and you put a moderator, and you come and you exoticize the voice and then you say, Check Black History Month. That's exoticization. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know what I'm saying? When can my needs be met? Well, how can my needs be met in advocacy not allyship but advocacy with the muslim community right right so you know for example ice as i told you i work in schools has come to literally the boundaries and when parents say okay baby have a nice day at school and drop their kids off roo, ice comes up and arrests the parents almost on school grounds what have the, the muslims said about that
0: i haven't There's heard anything. sanctuary muslims so you have right? a 700 plus churches and synagogues, how many sanctuary mosques are there in oh the goodness. country? I was going to ask you that, because I haven't <laughs> heard of it. So. It, it's, it's, it, it yeah. is heartbreaking. Yeah. So you'll find, I mean, and, and it, it, a lot of it, by the way, and this is not an excuse, but it does intertwine once again with comfort. uh uh-huh. uh-huh. like, Wait a minute, this is too soon. Uh, yeah. We will, so, so it would be a lot easier to come to a mosque, because Muslims are used to salah, right? Right. Charity. Right. We're going to prepare 200 meals and go we'll serve the homeless. Right. We're going to, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> it's khair. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Because I, I think, you know, what, what I tell people is that, you know, we just did the Dallas homeless count where you go yeah. out in the inner city and you, not actually, we do the whole Dallas yeah. and find where the homeless populations are and take the time to speak to the homeless, la, 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 understand la, 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 la. Yeah. how you got there, survey them, let them, you know, do uh-huh. a needs assessment track them come back to them right. you know help all the other organizations that are combating homelessness where to go and where in dallas and It's very telling and for a lot of Muslims, every time i've taken a group of muslims they're just you know because before that it was step over the homeless person it was ignore this population it, but somehow it's like hey they're not dangerous people mm-hmm. um there are various racial uh, backgrounds so you find white homeless people black homeless people right. latino homeless people but it's like they're not scary It's like, you know, before it was, it was just a lot easier to just prepare the sandwiches and drop off the boat or to say, come to this pantry, That's right. come to this pantry and just pick up your food in the centralized location. But to like go to like alleyways behind grocery stores and say, hi, how are you? My name is, and then have a script and then be warm and then make it be intentional about, hey, what's your, what's your situation? No one, I've never been threatened by a person who was homeless. I mean, obviously sometimes mental health issues, We're not like pulling a gun out on me, like they're, they're, you know.
1: Most most of the mental health issues are self inflicted. I used to work in a homeless shelter when I was oh, at okay, Michigan undergrad, okay. and I worked the night shift too. So you know they had curfew things, they had like non intoxicant rules and stuff like that. And even in the, some of the most uh, challenging and pressing circumstances for some of the homeless brothers and sisters, um, they were fully human, man, much more than sometimes even my colleagues in the university so who would not be, be real absolutely. with you. You know, absolutely. but but you did touch on one other thing that I wanted to um, respond to, and why is this the case? I think that Muslims I mean we've been I've heard uh, speeches from for the last two decades criticizing this almost like selfishness that these immigrant communities sometimes have and I've criti- I've heard other Muslim leaders criticize some of the, the historical African- American communities as well um, I, I think though that their issues are different. I, I, I want you know I, I think that more has to be written on this I mean I think it's a perfect. Uh, topic for Yaqeen to to um, to take up, and that is the that that is the immigrant communities' uh, identities around entanglements with whiteness and uh, Western um, sort of um, hegemony. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, what what scholars who study identity and assimilation and all of these things uh, argue, many of them, is that for for almost all immigrant communities that have come to the United States of America. They had to almost like in some instances they had no choice, but in other instances they had to select where in this racial hierarchy they would sort of like identify themselves. They definitely didn't want to identify along with uh, black Africans or indigenous people. And they kind of in the beginning, I'd say for the for, for a long time, thought that they might have access to whiteness and some actually may have. I think now, though, it's, it's, it's a conversation that needs to be revisited by immigrants. I think that many of them know, third, fourth generations included, that they don't have access to whiteness. And what that means is, is that how do you align yourselves in, in this sort of new political milieu, this post-September uh, 11th milieu? And how do you align? Uh, because I, I, the reason I'm saying this is because I think that part of the reasons that the immigrant community has been hesitant and, in fact, reticent, to align and advocate for issues that didn't have anything to do with their own existence because because they may have saw that as a blocker to their pathway into whiteness. But it should be clear now that mm-hmm. they're not going to ever get into that. Mm-hmm. They should be. Um, even the Syrians, who are perhaps some of the whitest Muslims, know that when they tell somebody they're Syrian, that that's going to bring a different I was Actually, was <coughs> being visited by... Um, your prominent
0: masha'Allah beautiful brother. I, I don't want to use his name just yeah, out of respect yeah, yeah. him because it was an intimate conversation, but um, he's, he's a white Muslim. He's mm-hmm. a scholar and he was saying how subhanallah. He wears his kufi and his jubba And mm-hmm. he said that you know in the process. It's like he knows mm-hmm. like and he's as white as they come He's like I know when I walk through the airports. Mm-hmm. I'm not white anymore because of my dress yeah. Like he's lost access just because of his dress and he said whereas you know um you know, African Americans and other people would would greet him with yeah. a different type, like, "Oh, okay." Uh, they also see him as not white, and he was talking about his entanglement in that too, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like it's an interesting the cultural apostasy, right, mm-hmm. of being a white Muslim and then especially wearing a kufi and like a, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. he was talking about that that entire experience yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So Definitely. it's it's what you're speaking about in terms of there is no act, there is no pathway. It's becoming
1: clear that uh, the the pathways yeah. of the community is not there. Um that 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 ones. that in and of itself should not be the reason, okay, since we can't be white anymore, or since I was white and now I've been racialized in some way, now, let me align with issues that impact minority. I mean we should do that because of our faith right, okay. right. so so this <laughs> is
0: actually this is actually one of the most I think important elements that I've seen missing in this discussion, yeah. is that largely the community when they talk about getting involved with issues, it's whether or not it's p r and to the benefit I, of that initial of that trajectory, right? And so, so so even if they're saying we're abandoning that trajectory right, and we're going right. to a new trajectory which stands with the marginalized, it still is with the ultimate goal of gaining acceptance and gaining political and Absolutely. social capital. And it's not like, hey, look, yes. you know, if the, you know, if, if the Sunnah of the Prophet of them, does not inspire you
1: That's
0: right. to speak, not just speak out on these issues, but actually like be a part of finding solutions to these issues. That's and they're right. out there. They're yeah. out there. If, if you organize effectively, if you, if you really, yeah. you know, are charged towards those things. They're out there. The solutions right. are out
1: there. Absolutely. I mean,
0: Absolutely. And if the sunnah is not enough, right? Then don't don't reject other things in the name of the sunnah. It's like, hey, wait a minute. You know, Absolutely. you gotta, you've got to. That's not. To, I mean, that's that, yeah. that's kind of veering into another subject. But when do we act out of scriptural imperative as opposed to just good PR? Yeah. You know, Absolutely. like Muslims now can can take up other immigrant causes because if we don't take up other immigrant causes. That's right or the causes of, of, of ICE and, you know, or, or, you know, the Abolish ICE movement, which ICE was formed yeah. out of Islamophobia, out mm-hmm. of the DHS, which was an agency formed in a climate of Islamophobia. That's right. And so, you know, largely Hispanic communities are suffering as a result of a climate of Islamophobia. That's right. But if people say that, well, it's good PR, or, you know, we should take up for them because they took up for us, it's like, no, that's, that's such a faulty foundation. Yeah, it is. When do you do things because it's the right thing so, to do And because right. of the sunnah of the Prophet <laughs> <laughs> Are you yeah. not supported except by the way That you that, that you deal with these that's That you deal with the right. most marginalized in society So it's it's sad sometimes But I don't want to be a pessimist An ultimate right. pessimist I, I do, inshallah, I see hope I see people that are yeah. in the process of engaging these things Just, just and, and And um I do too Imagining, reimagining sort of their role as yeah. Muslims I see people that are becoming uh, yeah. much more sincere Absolutely. and innocent um, yeah. I'll tell you, SubhanAllah Personally, after Philando Castile was killed yeah. Alton Sterling, obviously right yeah. before that Alton Sterling was in Baton Rouge And SubhanAllah, his Where he was murdered is right next to the Muslim graveyard So my mom, Allah, is buried like right next to where he was murdered Like oh, I'm gosh. talking about like you could see yeah. And I remember just something about that hit me And then Philando Castile, and that's where the protest happened in Dallas, mm-hmm. July seventh. There were a lot of Muslims that came out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. after the shooting happened, yes, and you know the shooting of the officers after the protest, and it kind mm-hmm. of it was scary because everyone at the protest thought they were being shot at. A lot of the Muslims came back to more and more of these things, and I thought yeah. that trauma. If you were there for PR, yeah. Uh, or a glamour shot mm-hmm. You weren't going to show up to one of those things again Because Dallas mm-hmm. is as tense as ever mm-hmm. But they still showed yeah. up, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So alhamdulillah. it's a small that's group wonderful. But I'm seeing yeah. people that are And, and I want to you know, appreciate that And also think about how we can offer them pathways Those that do kind of see, you know what Islam calls me to yeah. this yeah. And yeah, I want to find right. a way to start Tackling these issues more productively That's right um,
1: in, in solidarity, even African American Muslims One of the things that was sort of rinsed out of us And that was Uh, almost uh, like theologically discouraged right like family reunions and other things like that has been this whole notion of uh, how do we engage uh, institutions that how do we engage the urban league the NAACP Mm -hmm. some of the other people that have been on the front line uh, of fighting for the last hundred years I'm not saying that we have to do everything through these institutions but that's what that's exactly what advocacy means Mm -hmm. that's what you know, beyond the allyship like true engaged community engaged partnerships actually mean and i do think that there is a pathway and you're right i've seen many many young people and so older people to be honest with you as individuals right, I, I haven't seen a community shift yet um perhaps down in texas there's some examples of that it's but, it's but, slow yeah slowly but surely but yeah in
0: yeah. slowly but surely. yeah Maybe not yeah. fast enough yeah. to it's, our liking, yeah. but, but I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: obviously the prophets, Islam taught us to see Excellent. the hope and to expand. And, the and by the and, way, not not to shift. Uh, that that is why, <clears throat> you know, Sherman Jackson, Professor Sherman Jackson, and others argue that there's so much credibility of Islam in the African American community, right? Why was it that in Philadelphia, or Detroit, one can say, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, look, I'm accepting Islam, and their family would be like, all right, go right ahead. That's that's not the case so much anymore, even in African American communities. Mm-hmm. It still is more than Latino white communities, perhaps, where, you know, kind of like parents and, and family members completely um, are upset by that. Mm-hmm. No, but no, no, part no. of the credibility came because the nation, it wasn't just because of the nation, it was because of the reputation and the actions of the nation and mm-hmm. the credibility they had in the community that allowed, I think, folks to accept and embrace them because, again, they had credibility, they, they were doing something. And I think that's what we need to get to, you know. That sincere yeah. commitment that's to that's people's right. welfare and, that's right. and people's
0: well-being. And obviously with that, inshallah, also would yeah. give us, because there's a lot of, a lot of you know, concerns about the entire space of activism. Yeah. What are you signing on to? Mm-hmm. Is it a, mm-hmm. you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And so we're going to start violating uh, the sunnah that's and right. going into causes that's that, right. we, that don't really belong to us yeah. or that we can't affirm or champion because, because of our orthodoxy. And I think that... The more that you are present, yeah. the more right the yeah. more weight your voice has That's to right. define an agenda. That's and if we right. have to carve out our own niche as American Muslims, championing very legitimate issues with prophetic paradigms, not for the sake of PR, but out of a genuine concern for the people, that gives us credibility to say, look, there are certain things we can't do and there are certain mm-hmm. things that we can do and we're gonna do them with our absolute with with the spirit with the prophetic spirit too, the zeal of the Prophet. That's right. The himma of the Prophet, the concern of the Prophet. Uh, for these issues, not just uh, not just because this is an issue, but really, and I think you know a lot of people when when, when you talk about Malcolm, uh, when he talked, you know, Muslim Mosque and OAAU, the organization for Afro American Unity, he wanted you know he only had one hundred twenty members at Muslim Mosque at its peak, whereas OAU was a lot broader because it didn't require you to be a Muslim, but he really tasked those members of Muslim Mosque. He said, "You have to champion these issues. You have to you have to show commitments." to our people in a way that would make them you know consider Islam yeah, uh, because he ultimately saw Islam as the solution to racism right in that sense in the broad sense right yeah yeah alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah that's so very i think championing it so last last question and, and by the way Jazakullah, khair this is really helpful so we're going to be writing we're going to be writing a lot on these things inshallah and hopefully we'll we'll go into i think carving a pathway is very important for people that want to do good that want to and in the process of wanting to do good need to realize that sometimes they're going to say really stupid things and that's they right. need to be willing to say that and be vulnerable, be vulnerable. and then be challenged yeah. that's right you know like so it's i think i think i'm i'm, I'm you know <laughs> i might think i'm doing the right thing and then hey i say something like actually your framing is off mm-hmm. and that's part of the ikhlas of it the sincerity right. of it is you have to be willing to to be challenged on it and right. you know everyone has to sort of be a part of crafting as much as we can a unified direction that really represents the, the spirit of the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam, sallam. and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam, as much as possible. With that being said, um, in the last, I think, few minutes, Black History Month. Yes. Um, the framing of, or, or, or should we operate within Black History Month? So this is a debate yeah. we had at Yaqeen, right? Yes. So for the yeah. sake of the audience, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we going to do Black History Month? Is it a Black Heritage Collection? Is uh-huh. it a Heritage Collection? And Black Heritage is one track, and then we do a Latino Heritage and talk about. What, what do you think about? I think the general idea of Black History Month? Should yeah. we, from a scholar, you're a scholar, right? Yeah. As a scholar, do you operate within? Or do we make use of it? Or do we, you know, how do how do we as Muslims deal with it? How does society deal with it? and How do we as Muslims deal with it? And mm-hmm. What does that mean for Muslim organizations? Because you mentioned exoticizing, mm-hmm. and we don't want to do that, yeah. right? And we don't want to invite. That cares
1: about Cinco de Mayo. Easy,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> eating Taco Bell, We've right? Done it. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that you know, Trump tweeted he was at Taco Bell and Cinco de Mayo <laughs> says Happy Cinco de Mayo while he was eating a burrito, a gordita, oh, right? right. So... So we don't want, Muslim, yeah. you know, Muslim organizations might say, all right, we need to recognize black history. We're going to celebrate black history and black history month. And I, I pray that, inshallah, because at least with the issues and just the makeup that we have at Yatlin, mm-hmm. obviously, that we wouldn't fall victim to that. But a lot of Muslim organizations, again, might be well-intentioned. Yeah. It's black
1: yeah. history month. Let's put Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think but, about you the know, entire to, 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 I, I, well, well, I think, I mean, it's not in the Quran or Sunnah, so, so that means that either side could be argued, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and have uh, validity on either side of it. Two things. Uh, Black History History Month should never be used in in order for people to think that they are are now woke and that they are addressing the issue. That's the first thing that has to be clear. So if you perform uh, Black History Month and you you exude anti-blackness, for example, if you uh, love Black History Month and you come out in February and you're oppressive towards your students who are black, who might be from the continent or who might be African-American, it's oxymoronic, right? Um, how can you, on, on the one hand, choose and, and put everything in this month and not be concerned with issues that are much, much deeper and much more much more Islamic that deal specifically with blackness? <laughs> and so that's, um, I think that that's one thing that um, needs to be clearly said. The other thing is that um, it, it's, it's, I don't think that one can approach this as though all communities are the same, right? So, you know, you go to Detroit and folks have been talking about um garveyism as but over a hundred years right and you're gonna come with black history month with people like that or somebody in philadelphia and then you go to like north dakota where they don't even have like a one representative of the naacp and they have zero black Mm -hmm. history teaching Mm -hmm. well in that case perhaps black history month might be useful so i think that it's it's a it's it's as much a contextual question as well as it is um A Question of legitimacy. I think that it could be argued that it's useful and I how do you celebrate without appropriating? That's another I think another very important. You mean how do immigrants because I'm black. but you mean how do immigrants celebrate celebrate without appropriating?
0: Um, Organizationally individually Uh Communities, Uh how do they celebrate? So for example, we're gonna celebrate Malcolm and Ali and you said yeah, you know and and whatever the entirety of black Muslim history without Uh But but if you obviously lowest denominator, if you still have anti-blackness yeah. in your actions or your words, sure. or whatever it is, then that's that's a disqualifier. Sure, but sure. Those communities, you know, organizationally, institutionally, communities, individually, how do they mm-hmm. celebrate without appropriating?
1: No, absolutely. So, um, one one I, I, I once ran into a young African immigrant right here on campus, and she had mm-hmm. a Black Lives Matter shirt on, right? Mm-hmm. On and I said, okay, that's good. What have you done about the anti-blackness in your own community? And I started, I'm not going to say which country she's from, but I started listing all of the sub-tribes in her country by their names that are not treated fully human yet, even now in 2020 in her country. I said, why would you skip? So in other words, there has to be some priorities with this thing as we engage this topic of black history, right? And so should you appropriate? No. Should you exoticize? No. Is it okay? To allow to, for you to support organizations already doing the work, yes, is it okay for you to uh, not just bring an African American like me to come in and start talking about Black History during February, and then after that we have no relationship, but legitimately and sincerely engage me, and next year as February comes around I'll be there. You don't even have to say anything; it'll be done. You know, right. um, if 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 that's if that's something that an organization believes in. So I I would caution anybody from saying we shouldn't celebrate, as Morgan Freeman has said. You're going to rele- relegate my history to a single month? I understand The sh- that. shortest month in the Right, the shortest year. month on the year. <laughs> Definitely. That's a concern. But I can also understand, like, you can go to some places in the United States where they talk about the Civil War as though Africans are subhuman mm-hmm. and had nothing to contribute from the Civil War forward. Like, where do we get hip-hop music from? Where do we get R&B? Where do we get... Uh, stoplights—all of these things, like all of these wealths that have impacted the culture of the world of humanity, like um, came out of black communities. And for you to talk about that in an exoticizing way, or not to give it its due or, or true history—I mean, Muhammad Ali, uh, all of these—you know—great um, uh, intellectuals that have come. The first sociologists, like you know W. B. Du Bois, and many of the early models of of, of how to make cities happen. You know, you have to understand, like Rondo here. It's an area, as you know, the federal government used like the Federal Highway Act and um, eminent domain in order to kind of erase over a thousand African-American areas that were built up after white Americans said, you can't stay with us. You have to stay there. Nobody here can sell their house to you, right? And with no resources, very strapped, they built some of the most economically viable ethnic enclaves in this country only for, so this is for those people who like the bootstrap theory, for, Policies to come through and destroy with airports or expressways their neighborhoods that that black wealth, those black uh, economic epicenters and cultural wealth was completely destroyed. Now, if you can't see the wealth coming out of that mm. and there's no talk about that, of course, you might need something like a little, you know, boost like Black History Month. But okay. that should be only the beginning, it should never be the end. And, you know, it just really depends on the community. So, yeah, no, Barakalafi, yeah. I think it's
0: helpful. Yeah. So, I think to recap that obviously being willing to tackle your own, I mean, or or not being outwardly hypocritical or just outright hypocritical about, you know, celebrating on one hand elements of black history with an agenda and then not being willing to tackle racism in your own community. The second one is, Immigrant communities doing a better job of, of, of actively tackling racism within their community right? And there have been some initiatives like there's like Muslim Ark and some others Marshall, that absolutely, up that yes. just trying to tackle that within the community right and being willing to have right. difficult conversations there That's right giving voice to african-americans within the community Throughout well, the year not just that's
1: right in, in february <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can, can, yeah. can you come speak at our conference? Right. Can you come speak at our message? And, and not only voice but using the epistemologies found in these communities to frame policy, to guide actions, to guide sure, discourse right. within mosques, you know? It Excellent. has to go beyond, Excellent. I eat rice, you eat bread, Excellent. you wear that, I wear this. It has to go deep, much, much, much deeper, Excellent. you know?
0: And, you know, defining the community's agenda. That's so right. not just defining right. the community agenda from one vantage point, which, is, which yeah. tends to be, you know, from a particular culture, from a particular um, socioeconomic mm-hmm. class or whatever it is, but, but broadening the community agenda. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's and, and inshallah, I think that's uh, we're we're gonna be uh, hopefully having more more yeah. papers from, from yeah we have from to. From, from you inshallah we're from us from <laughs> us <laughs> <laughs> co-authoring on some of these subjects yeah, 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 um, about about some of these things and um, you know Jazakallah khair I think it's it's really <inaudible> excellent and and can you tell us about some of the stuff that you're doing outside of Yaqeen inshallah your, oh, your yeah, curriculum yeah, yeah. the stuff that you're doing because yeah. you know with with curriculum in the school yeah. prison pipeline and other things Al-
1: Alhamdulillah all praise you to Allah so. Um, my, my third book was, uh, uh, edited book, was about the school-to-prison pipeline and, and culture in schools. And that gave way to my fourth book, which is on Harvard Education Press. Um, it's uh, called Response Responsive School Leadership. Alhamdulillah, to date, almost 10,000 copies sold, even in a year, year and a half, which is phenomenal for an academic book. One of the reasons that it caught on like that, though, is because I, I didn't write for other scholars. I wrote in a scholarly tone but it was directed toward practitioners who would read the work. And I can say, alhamdulillah, a number of superintendents, uh, principal school leaders have been picking the work Mm -hmm. up and literally effecting change in the districts, uh, making schools more humanizing for minoritized students, uh, ensuring that the community knowledge, that ancestral knowledge, because see, it's invisible to leaders, many school leaders, they can't see it. They think it's bad behavior. They think that it's disruption. They think it's some obscure cultural practice and many school leaders are not able to recognize that as wealth, as ancestral knowledge. is something they can use in their building. So the same arguments that I'm making about mosques, uh, we're doing that in a 2.5-day academy. Um, we're happy to come almost to any of the 50 states to bring the academy. Um, we also do equity audits. So equity audits are a way that allows school leaders to not just understand why they have disproportionalities, like why, why some students are suspended more or, or do better in school, but it allows them to pinpoint exactly why they have disproportionalities and how they prioritize equity work. So those are a couple of the projects that we're doing. Masha'Allah,
0: Well, I mean, mash'Allah, your work is, I think, a benefit to everybody and we can all benefit within the Muslim community and outside of it. So where can people find some of this work? Uh,
1: Harvard Education Press under the name Mohammed Khalifa or Amazon. um, The website is culturally responsive school leader, no, CRSLI.org, which stands for Culturally Responsive School Leadership. Uh, Institute, CRSLI, yes, (laughs) CRSLI.org, they can find out about that.
0: And you have, a you know, alhamdulillah, you've got a rich uh, history, so this was just for the the sake of the benefit of the audience, we didn't plan what questions, we didn't, we just wanted to have a very free-flowing conversation, so with that being said, we want to invite, I think, we want to start a conversation, inshallah, so invite um, criticism, invite uh, further thought, how do we develop this? Um, these thoughts further, inshallah, that we can take into consideration for some of the papers that we're hosting at Yaqeen more broadly, and then more specifically that we're co-authoring, and even more specifically that you're writing, inshallah. 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 Um, and um, also, I think uh, we don't have a podcast yet. Okay. Uh, when we have a podcast, I want to dig yeah. deep into your, your, yeah, your personal history because it. it's really fascinating. Let's do Allah, it. You know, the places you've lived, the places you've taught, and some of those experiences, inshallah. Yeah, let's do it. So, Jazakallah Khair. appreciate yeah, you. Thank you. Barakou. Appreciate barakou. the opportunity. as assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.